Morning. Are you enjoying Proverbs? You say, we've just gotten into Proverbs. What do you mean? Well, there is that challenge that I issued a while ago about reading a chapter in Proverbs each day, along with whatever else you're doing uh, for your quiet time. And uh, I think you'll find it a rich, rich thing. So you just take the date of the month and read that chapter in Proverbs and you'll find a wonderful richness as each month you will have read the entire book of Proverbs and, and then maybe you want to pick up a different translation, different version, and go through it that way. Uh, it's just a delightful and enriching time as we seek to bring the various aspects of our lives under the lordship of Christ. This overarching theme of godly wisdom in Proverbs, we will see as we go through that each day, other themes emerging that help us order our lives under that banner of the wisdom of God. So with that in mind, let's bow in prayer. Father, I thank you for your infinite wisdom, and I thank you that you have in that wisdom given us this amazing book of Proverbs, that through it, we can understand how to bring the various aspects of our lives under the lordship of Jesus, that we might grow to be more like him each day, that we might reflect glory to you, uh, the author of this book, the author of your holy word. And so we take it now and, and we pray that you would open it to our understanding and I pray that you would help us to flesh it out in our lives so that we might bring glory to you this week as we live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as I mentioned, uh, there are these, these sub-themes that come across to us in the book of Proverbs under the banner of the wisdom of God. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I kicked off the series in Proverbs by talking about the wise man and the fool, how we all sort of start out as the simple, but we come to this fork in the road where we hear the call of both wisdom and folly, and we choose which one we're going to pursue. And we make that choice, not just once in our life, but we make that choice daily, hourly, by the minute, uh, whether we're going to take the path of wisdom or the path of folly. And so with that introduction, we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, where Paul says, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And that's the idea, taking all of these parts of our lives, taking every thought captive to make each one obedient to Christ as he calls us to follow him. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at several areas uh, as we consider extending Christ's lordship over every aspect of our lives. Our eyes, our ears, our tongue, our homes, our relationships. That's what we're planning. And so today, uh, we're going to consider extending Christ's lordship over the realm of our eyes, the things we see. So let me ask you this. What do these three people have in common? A quadriplegic, a helicopter gunship pilot, and a farmer. Think about the eyes. 
All of them really serve to illustrate a point that I want to make this morning, and that is this. Where we set our eyes will determine where we go. Where we set our eyes will determine where we go. Think about, for instance, a quadriplegic. There is a special wheelchair that is optically guided. Uh, where a quadriplegic who has no function b- below the neck can, can blow into a tube to determine uh, uh, rate of speed, but can also direct the, the, the wheelchair with his or her eyes. Where he or she looks will determine where that wheelchair will go. Similar concept with a helicopter gunship pilot. Uh, I have known some of them in my life, and there is an optically guided system for the weaponry on a helicopter gunship so that all he has to do is look at a target and squeeze the trigger that's in his hand, and the rounds will go to where he is looking. And a farmer, uh, I have mentioned already that before farmers started planting by GPS, they would pick a distant aiming point and set their eyes on that as they set their rows. And so you could tell a farmer whose eyes were diverted because his rows would be crooked. He took his eyes off of the distant aiming point. It is difficult to go in a direction that you're not looking. And so uh, it's just like us mowing our lawn, right? You want to pick a spot on the other side of the lawn or, or even beyond, and don't look anywhere else until you've completed that row. This is why my dear wife no longer mows the lawn. Um, you know, I like really straight rows. For her, it's like, if it gets done, it gets done. And so I get the benefit of just mowing the lawn every time myself. So you, you pick a spot and you uh, focus on that and where you set your eyes will determine where you end up. Proverbs tells us to be careful in where we set our eyes because it will determine our ultimate destination in life. In John Bunyan's classic book, Pilgrim's Progress, there are five gates into the city of Mansoul. We know those five gates as the five senses. And the gate that is easiest to get into the city of Mansoul is the gate of the eyes. And so if we're wise, we're going to ask ourselves, what are we allowing in through that gate? Because where we set our eyes will determine where we go. We're going to look at this brief passage in Proverbs, the end of chapter 4. It it is exceptionally difficult to preach expository sermons in Proverbs because Proverbs is topical. And uh, really, once you get past beyond chapter 9, you're past any chance of exposition. But these topics are arranged under the the banner of godly wisdom. And, And I hope you've discerned some of these topics yourself as you have been reading Proverbs in a repeated manner. And so we're going to look at, at uh, some, some topics that I have seen, themes I have seen emerge, and today we're going to look at the eyes, and we're going to look at this section, uh, three verses at the end of chapter 4. Uh, verse 25, let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left, turn your foot away from evil. I think the metaphor here is one of a a traveler. 
So can we see ourselves as travelers on our way to our destination and let Solomon speak into our journey? Our destination is beyond what we can see. Our eyes can't see our ultimate destination from where we stand, but they can guide us or they can mislead us as we travel on our way there. So the first thing Solomon tells us here in verse 25 is, know your destination and let your eyes take you there. Know your destination. Verse 25, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Do you hear the singleness of purpose that Solomon is coming across with there as we pursue our destination? Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. I've enlisted a little help for, for this point just to uh, help us uh, grasp it and let it really sink in. Asher, come on up, buddy. Asher's going to help us out here. And uh, so here's, here's the deal. You can stand right there for now. What I want you to do, ha have we gone over this at all? No, see? Okay. <laughs> He's trusting me. Yeah. Good man. Okay, what I want you to do is look at the back door and start walking until I tell you to stop. Go ahead. Look at the back door and start walking until I tell you to stop. Okay, you can stop now. Okay, now look at me and start walking until I tell you to stop. Go ahead. Okay, great. Good job. Looking straight at me, walking straight. Okay, stop. Now, here's the tricky part. Look at me and walk toward the back door. Can you do that? It's a little trickier, huh? Yeah, I saw you look down. Ah, that's good. Okay, you can stop. Great. Hey, thanks, buddy. So was it, was it harder to get to where you wanted to go when you were looking in the opposite direction? Yeah, a little harder. Yeah, so you did a great job. Let's give Asher a hand. Thanks, buddy. You can, you can go on back. So here's the idea. Uh, it is difficult to go somewhere where you are not looking. And where we set our eyes will determine where we go. As believers, we have a destination in common. It's heaven, and we look forward to going there. And the life God calls us to live here on this earth is a life of preparing ourselves for arrival at that destination. So the question is this, where are we looking? Where are we looking? And will where we are now looking help us or hurt us in terms of preparing for our ultimate destination? When I was um, in the Army, I was a part of then-President Carter's Rapid Deployment Force, and we were prepared to go anywhere in the world. And we would, our unit would cycle through that, and there was this time where we were basically on call and we needed to be prepared to go anywhere in the world. And when we were on cycle for that, we had a whole bunch of stuff that was packed away for any contingency. Now, contrast that with the more local training exercises that we had uh, when we were just going to the field for a week. Uh, I knew what I could bring with me 
And I greatly preferred that because I didn't want all of that other stuff. And I could leave all of that other stuff behind because I knew where I was going. And I knew that my destination that week did not require all of that stuff. And I think we as believers sometimes carry a lot of additional baggage, additional stuff that doesn't really help us when we think in terms of our destination. If you think in terms of your destination, you can really simplify your life. So if our ultimate destination is heaven, are we packing a lot of stuff we don't need? Do we pursue our destination with the same singleness of purpose that we see in verse 25? Do we have our eyes set on heaven? And then can we look at things that other people might have, things that perhaps might be tempting us and say, I don't need that. It doesn't accord with my destination. It doesn't fit where I'm going. I don't know if we've got any runners here. If you've ever run competitively, you know that you want to keep a singular focus for your race. You don't want to look around you at the scenery. You don't want to look at other runners. In the classic movie, Chariots of Fire, Eric Little's coach tells him not to look at other runners because looking at them would cost him precious milliseconds that could determine the outcome of his race. So here's our problem. We know what our destination is, but we don't yet see it, right? We can't yet see our destination. We walk by faith, not by sight. And when I think of not being able to see my destination, I realize that that gives a degree of difficulty to what we're doing. I think of an athlete named Florence Chadwick. I don't know if the name rings a bell, but this was one incredible athlete. Florence Chadwick... um, was, became the first woman ever to swim the English Channel both ways. She was an incredible athlete. And in 1952, she stepped off the coast of Catalina Island, which is 21 miles away from the California shore, intending to swim the 21 miles to California. It was a foggy foggy morning when she stepped into the water. The tides and the currents were against her and there were sharks in the area. She was surrounded by a little flotilla of boats that that was there to protect her, that was there to encourage her on, but she was also surrounded by fog and she could barely see the boats that were along with her. And so she swam for 15 hours hours straight, 15 hours. And when she begged to be taken from the water, her mother, who was in a boat next to her, said, you are so close, you can make it. But finally, after 15 hours, she simply stopped swimming and had to be pulled into the boat. And when she was pulled into the boat, she discovered that she was less than a half a mile away from the shore. She just couldn't see it. And the next day, she held a press conference, and she said this, All I could see was the fog. 
I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. We don't see our ultimate destination. It's tough to keep going when you don't see your destination. And we can't see ours. We walk by faith, not sight. And so one thing that can help us when we can't see our destination is to be sure of our route. Be sure of your route. That's the idea I get from verse 26. Ponder the path for your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. The New International puts it this way. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Solomon's talking about our route here. We understand what our destination is. We, we need to be clear about our route. A lot of people will tell you, well, if your destination's heaven, there's a lot of roads that'll take you there. It's a nice thought. It would really take the burden off of us in terms of evangelism, but it's just not true. Jesus made exclusive claims. Uh, perhaps the clearest and the boldest is John 14, 6. I love to take people there who say any road will get you to heaven. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way to heaven. But even as we follow Jesus there, we need to be careful about how we live. Uh, Paul said, in Ephesians 5.15, be careful then how you live as wise, not as unwise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Be careful about your route, how you live. Careful about this route we take in response to the upward call of God in Christ. As Christians, we can still fall into sin as Christians, we can still go down a road that leads us nowhere. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 17 says, The highway of the upright turns aside from evil, and whoever guards his way or watches his way, using your eyes, preserves his life. Watch your way. Be careful about your route. Now, how can we... Be careful about our route. How can we be sure of the route we're on? How do you do it on a road trip? You look at signposts, right? On a road trip. If the signposts are, are aligning properly, uh, you know you're on the right path. Uh, they'll tell you you're on the right road. So let me show, uh, mention just a few signposts that show up in the book of Proverbs. Uh, one of them is wisdom. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, Seek wisdom like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Understand how, how precious wisdom is and apply yourself to pursuing it. Look for it. Seek it. Wisdom is one of the signposts that will tell us if we're on the right road. Wisdom reflects the character of God. That's the beauty of this book of Proverbs. It reflects the character of God, shows us how to avoid sin. What would Jesus do? That's a question we can ask ourselves. And as we follow spiritual disciplines, as we walk down this road that, that, that is leading us toward heaven, we can use WWJD differently as well, and that is walk with Jesus daily. Uh, keep walking with him through the daily disciplines of the Christian life, and you will gain 
wisdom. Another signpost is reason. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 21 says, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Or the New International Version says, Keep sound judgment and discernment. Sound judgment and discernment. Sound wisdom and discretion. I think there is a real key there to defeating the tempter in our lives. Have you ever sat down and thought through a temptation? Jesus made it clear that Satan is a liar and the father of lies, right? Remember that? If that is so, then every temptation that Satan puts before us will be based on a lie. And if we will think it through, we can discern the lie. We can spot the lie and gain victory over the tempter. I found that's one of the greatest ways to disarm temptation. When you look at this thing that is tempting you and say, what are the consequences? What logically flows out of this decision? You can gain victory over that temptation. You'll see the irrationality of it. Find the lie. I've been seeing on the news lately, in the evening, a number of high-speed chases. Have you noticed there's sort of a trend there? Uh, A lot of people are trying to evade the police by going on a high-speed chase. They all end the same way, don't they? They all end with a, a wrecked car and an arrest. You would think that someone might go, you know, if I hit the gas pedal right now, this is gonna end badly. Why don't I just hit the brake instead? You know, but they haven't thought it through. They haven't submitted to the signpost of reason. And the best signpost of all is God's word. And Proverbs chapter four, verse 21, it says, let them, that is my words, let them not escape from your sight. Use your eyes to look to my words. Keep God's word in sharp focus. God's word is a sure signpost, and it will keep us on the right road. We desperately need to know what God's word has to say, how it speaks into the situations in our life. And we can never say we've had enough of it. We need to grasp it. Do you remember that the hand illustration a few weeks ago? We need to employ all five fingers with regard to God's word. Uh, We need to hear it. Uh, We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to memorize it. We need to meditate on it. And when we do, we have a firm grasp of it and we can act upon it as well. God's word is a sure signpost. So know your destination. Be sure of your route. And the third point, verse 27, stay on course. Stay on course. Verse 27, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. How do we make sure we are staying on course? We do it by orienting ourselves toward our destination, not taking side roads. It's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to get off this highway and onto smaller, less significant roads. And we can get ourselves uh, stuck when we do. You'll remember I've quoted D.L. Moody a number of times. 
main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? Stay focused on the main thing. We end up too often making lesser things the main thing. You might want to ask yourself, what fits my travel plans and what doesn't? If I'm going to Boston, I don't need to go by way of Seattle, right? I need to stick to the road that will get me there. If I'm going to heaven, I don't need to travel on roads that will take me elsewhere, even though there's plenty of other people that are traveling those roads and encouraging me to join them. Proverbs 17, verse 24 says, The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. No focus. Anywhere, anywhere will do the ends of the earth instead of a focused walk. Uh, Chapter 21, verse 16 shows how ironic it is for those who stray. One who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. The irony is that the one who is using his eyes to focus, to, to wander to the ends of the earth, doesn't get the thing he wants, doesn't get the freedom that he thinks he's achieving. What he gets is a way that leads to death. Where are we orienting our eyes? It matters because it determines the direction that we're going to go. Now, this thought is not just limited to the book of Proverbs. It's all over the Bible. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. These things that are true and good and right and lovely and excellent. Think about these things. Focus on these things. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, Paul says, all things are lawful. And that's in quotes, all things are lawful. It's a saying that was going around. Evidently, when someone would say, well, you you really shouldn't be doing it. Well, hey, it's lawful for me. All things are lawful. Paul concedes that. Okay, all things are lawful. But he says, not all things are helpful. Again, he quotes it. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So focus on the things that are helpful. Focus on the things that build up. Narrow your focus to those things. In Matthew 5, 29, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. What we do with our eyes is vitally important. One more. Psalm 101, verse 3. David said this, I will set no vile thing before my eyes. Personal resolve. I will set no vile thing before my eyes. That's a great plan for staying on course. There's no sense saying we're headed in one direction when our eyes are pointed in another. Do you know your destination? Are you pursuing it with singleness of purpose? Are you checking the signposts along the way to make sure you're still on the right road? And are you staying on course? I want to encourage all of us to take 
Psalm 101, verse 3, home with us. I will set no vile thing before my eyes. That verse has helped me so many times. We do have the choice in what we will set before our eyes. We need to exercise godly wisdom as we make those choices. Let's go one step further. We have an advantage that Solomon's readers could only dream about. The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 that we don't yet see everything put in subjection to Jesus, but we see him crowned with glory and honor. What an incredible focus for our eyes to focus on Jesus who went before us, who experienced every temptation that we can experience and yet without sin. In chapter 12, he tells us to look to him as we run our race, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And John completes the picture in the passage that was read earlier today in chapter 5. This vision of Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world who alone is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll and who receives the worship of all heaven and earth. This can be the one who fills our vision. He is the one that we need to focus on. Now, we can resolve with David to set no vile thing before our eyes. And we need to choose that. We need to resolve that. But why we resolve that is vitally important. We don't do it trying to earn our way with God. We don't earn it. We don't earn God's favor. Only Jesus gives us favor with God. We gain favor with him when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus for our salvation. He paid fully for our sin. And when we give our lives to him and invite him uh, to forgive us, we trust in him and we are justified. We are made righteous, declared righteous by a holy God. And then we begin to become sanctified as the outward part of us catches up with the inward part of us. And so that sanctification process is a response to what God has done for us in Christ. It's not an attempt to earn favor with God. It is a response to the greater yes uh, of what God calls us to in Christ. And so we set our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. He alone is worthy of the focus of our eyes and the affection of our heart. And when we set our eyes on him, we see him in all of his beauty and other things that would tempt us or distract us fade into insignificance. Pastor Steve loaned me a book this past week, a book by Ray Ortland, a new one called The Death of Porn, subtitle, Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility. It's a good read. I would recommend it. It seemed timely to, to bring that into the message here this morning because we're dealing with our eyes. And so much of pornography deals with 
our eyes. And I saw statistics from Covenant Eyes that suggest that 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say that they view pornography monthly. Those figures are probably conservative. This is a vital issue for our eyes as we seek to bring them under the lordship of Christ. And ultimately, this is an issue for the heart. And Ray Ortland's solution in this book, The Death of Porn, has to do with how we view ourselves, how we view the objects of pornography, and how we view the Lord Jesus. And he says, first of all, you are royalty. You are created in the image of God. Don't defile that image by what you do. And then he says, secondly, she is royalty. This real person who has been trafficked into what she is now doing. She was created in the image of God. She is an image bearer like you are. Don't defile her in this way. And third, he says, he is royalty. The Lord Jesus is royalty. He is the one worthy of our focus, worthy of our attention, worthy of the devotion of our heart. Fix your eyes on him. This book of Proverbs is so incredibly practical. Solomon gives us illustration after illustration from the life we live, the life we know, and he shows us how to apply godly wisdom to our lives. We receive that for our eyes, for our ears, for our tongue, for our homes, for our relationships. And I look forward to these next few weeks unpacking some of that with you. We want to bring all of those areas of our lives under the lordship of Christ as we respond to him as our greatest treasure. Do you know him? Do you know him? Have you received the forgiveness that only he can give? Don't leave here today without knowing that you stand in a right relationship with God through Christ. I will be up front afterwards if you'd like to talk. Do you know him? Have you trusted him as Savior? Is he your greatest treasure, the one worthy of setting our eyes upon? You'll find some questions for further thought in your program, I hope, you'll be able to make use of those this week. Pray with me, will you? Father, we have sung of the worth of Jesus this morning. We're going to sing again. And I pray, Lord, that the words we sing would reflect the truth of our hearts that, that you are our greatest treasure. And that all other things that our eyes could land upon fade into insignificance as we see the beauty of the Lord Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us this week to set our eyes on him and to live lives that glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.